Welcome to Everything Is Up, a podcast about the real-life stories of people who have created extraordinary levels of success. These are conversations with people who are constantly striving to take things to the next level. And now, here's your host... Welcome to Everything Is Up. I'm your host, Tamara Hollerick. And joining me this afternoon is Dr. Kennedy from Andrews College out of Cuthbert. Is that saying, am I saying it right? Cuthbert? Cuthbert. Cuthbert. Cuthbert, Georgia. So Dr. Kennedy, uh, thank you so very much. I am extremely excited, as I just told you, about having you on the podcast today. Your story is amazing. It really rolls in line with um, something I would tell my daughter on a very regular basis. So I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So um, Andrews College um, dates back to what, 1854? Did it get my research right? Yeah, Andrew College uh, has has been around since 1854. Uh, We were founded as a Methodist institution here in the southwest corner of Georgia uh, in in, uh, Randolph County in the city of Cuthbert. So uh, we were originally founded as a uh, institution for the education of females, and uh, we also were, uh, I believe, the first institution to offer uh, physical education to females. And wow! Curriculum. So um, we, uh, you know, as so many Southern institutions, uh, we have a lot of history. Um, uh, during the Civil War, uh, we were a hospital. Uh, and uh, serviced uh, soldiers, uh, and it was, I believe it was um, uh, Hood Hospital, and that was in the original building, which burned down, and was later rebuilt in the 1890s, uh, which is currently what I sit in now is the Castillo Building, uh, which is Old Main. It's a five-story, beautiful uh, building on campus, uh, 130-plus years old, Uh, so uh, a very very, uh, historic institution, a lot of neat history here. Yeah, it it really sounds like it. And I, you know, as I was doing research, I didn't find all that, but that is extremely um, cool if you want to kind of put it into some really cool terms. Um, just knowing that that history is there. You are very new to the role as president of Andrew College. This uh, is day 100. <laughs> day 100. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. So you are now the 30th president, um, and you've just held this role since June 5th. Yes. Yes, I have. What what was the journey like getting into the interview process? I can't imagine. I mean, that was a a national search, right? They went out nationally. Yes. What was that interview process like? I'm sure it wasn't just you know, Tamara hiring for someone for her balloon company. So I'm sure it was a little bit more intense. Walk us through what that looked like for you. Sure. Well, a a lot of presidential searches, uh, they use search firms. uh, And uh, this was no no different. They had a a consultant helping the uh, the board of trustees uh, and a a group of um, faculty, staff, community members, and trustees uh, who formed the search committee. And uh, so usually what they do, they put it out there. The consultant tries to help uh, uh, stimulate interest, find people they believe would be good fits. Uh, They have the parameters. And so they will often pre-vet candidates, talk to candidates. 
you know, because some people will will call them out of position and it won't be a right fit. And so they won't, they don't want to apply. They don't want to be involved, but they'll be able to have discrete conversations to see if it's for them. Right. Uh, and uh, from my very first conversation, uh, I felt like my skill set could be a match for Andrew. And I was intrigued with the, the situation. Uh, and uh, it, it kind of grew from there. Um, once, once, uh, you 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 talk to the uh, consultant and you you're vetted and uh, and get a feel, then uh, you apply and then the committee usually weeds the pool of applications down to a manageable number with the consultant uh, and then they usually have some kind of pre-screening from there uh, and then they get it down to a uh, some kind of uh, remote now the days of Zoom it used to be phone interviews in the old days yeah. uh, even I wasn't interviewing for presidencies then, but I was interviewing for other positions. Uh, but uh, now it's, you know, Zoom interviews. Uh, and so I was one of, I think, nine nine or 10 people they Zoom interviewed. And, uh, and then they brought three of us to campus. Um, you know, and that was, so we, we did that. And then a couple months later, we came to campus. And that's a two-day process on campus where you are, um, you're you're eating with the you're meeting with the board you're eating with the board uh and then you start all day where you you tour and you meet students and you uh you have an open forum with faculty and staff where they can ask you questions and you uh, uh i'm drawing blank here but you you meet with different constituencies from the right. community to, to to different things and everyone gets to ask you questions and kind of uh uh, use a, a country term to kind of look look at your teeth, see where you're at, and yeah. get a feel for you, and, um, <laughs> and see if you would be a good fit. Because obviously, in a position like that, they want to make sure that you are going to be someone that uh, they're going to have to work with very closely, and you're going to be given a lot of responsibility. Uh, because the college president, uh, the board, ultimately is responsible for the college or the university, but the president makes all the decisions beyond that, the board is responsible for, for the president. Uh, so it is a, a position that um, comes with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Um, you actually were at a university. Um, you were at Midway in Kentucky, right? Yes. Prior I to. Um, I would imagine what you did there, because what your background there, um, you were with athletics and admissions. Was it yes. admissions? Um, now you've also been a coach. I was. Okay. So coaches are just fabulous people. They have such an impact on so many lives in our world. Um, but you took Midway's athletic program from like eight sports and 92 kids to 28 sports and like 630. I did. That's exactly what we did. That is absolutely impressive. You don't do that by accident, right? There's obviously a lot of hard work that goes into that. You obviously have a passion for um, taking young individuals, academia, right? And and growing them into um, the legacies that we are hoping that they will come into in, in their lives. Um, what was... What was it that happened at Midway 
that was that let you be able to do that. I mean, because sometimes I think things have to align in a certain way. Um, then you've got to have a passion for it, sure. and um, and then you have to implement. So. I'm guessing that Andrew College was looking at a lot of that as well, because I know I would have been um, looking at that, what you did there and what you could bring to the table here. What kind of things were happening at Midway that gave you that ability to kind of have that background? Well, yes, Andrew College, uh, the reason I got the Andrew College job in large part was because of what happened at Midway University um, and, and the um, the things I was able to do there and the experience I was able to bring from there. And, and Andrew was looking for a leader who was going to be uh, to understand how to grow enrollment, uh, who was also going to be business minded, and entrepreneurial. Uh, and I have a, a doctorate in business administration and, and taught business. And uh, so I, I, come from it from a little different angle than uh, a number of presidents do. Uh, but backing up to what you were asking about Midway University, uh, I arrived at a very, at the very right time at Midway University. It was a very special uh, moment in that, that institution's history. Um, Midway is a very special place. It's, it's, uh, will always be in my heart. Uh, I cannot tell you uh, what we were able to accomplish uh, as an institution and as a, uh, an administrative team there um, is quite frankly remarkable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, um, it it begins at the top. We had an outstanding president, uh, Dr. John Marsden, uh, and we had outstanding uh, leadership at the other vice president positions. I mean, no one can do anything by themselves. I mean, uh, our vice president of marketing, uh, Ellen Gregory, was great. Our vice president for finance, Leah Rice, fantastic. Uh, you know, we had a, a you know a number of, of great academic vice presidents who who helped us, um, and so uh, we we had a great team uh, who, who worked hand in hand uh, together. Uh, now, athletics was a huge part of that, uh, as was as was other things, and so I I was given um, a great opportunity. I came in uh, when I got there. We were just under a thousand students. Uh, and we were in the last semester of being uh, single gender in the in our daytime uh, population. So we we were just a women's college in daytime, uh, and we had, now we were co-ed uh, online. We were co-ed in our graduate and, and adult completion, but we only were women only still uh, in our eighteen to twenty two year old population. Uh, that that last that was one semester thing. The board voted to go co-ed. Uh, we decided that we were going to start adding male athletes, male sports, uh, add males. Um, we were going to wait and do that over time. Um, but another college closed, and that, that college uh, was St. Catherine College in Springfield, Kentucky. And so their president called Dr. Marsden and said, hey, we're closing. What do you think about taking some of our male athletes, male teams? Uh, and so we were able to work with them and uh, speed up our timeline. The board gave approval. They were very aggressive. They gave us approval. So we were able to basically transplant uh, four male teams 
uh, to a women's college that never had, didn't have a uniform, a schedule, had never had a male student. Uh, and we did that in a, basically a two and a half month period. And, and we were able to grow, uh, we were able to grow from about 230 students uh, in the fall of, or in the spring of 2016 to about 400 and some odd in the, the fall of 2016. Uh, and athletics was a huge piece of that because we took, we started baseball, men's basketball, men's soccer. And most of those students had came, were, came from, they're going to go to St. Catherine. Right. And so uh, it was an unbelievable story that's layered in this greater story. Yeah. That kind of supercharged us to keep building. And, and like you said, we grew from eight sports and 92 student athletes as a women's college to the last semester uh, the last fall I was there, we had uh, 28 sports and 631 student athletes. Um, and uh, so really, it's been, it was a fantastic, and we had 1,900 students, uh, and we had less than 1,000 when I, when I got there. And in that time, I, I went from being athletic director when I got there to taking over enrollment and becoming vice president of admissions. Uh, and, and so I was able to be involved in many of these decisions uh, and, and given a great deal of responsibility and experience by Dr. Marsden. Uh, and, and so um, uh, I can't, I'm can't be more grateful and thankful uh, for the opportunity that I was given at Midway. And, and I, I, I just love the people there. and I wish them the best. Uh, you can't be in two places at once. I'm happy at Andrew and I'm looking forward to what we're doing here, but I, I wish them nothing but success. Well, that opportunity and, and being, you know, sometimes, it's taking the opportunity and running with it as well, right? So you could very easily have said, um, yeah, not my thing, right? You could have done that. Probably not your personality. I could have. Um, you could have, but the opportunity presented itself. I would. I, I was sitting here as you're talking and I'm thinking, none of them had to slept for two months. Like that. That was a that, long summer. No doubt about it. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, to take and do that. but. I'm also sitting here thinking the opportunity for, you know, those male athletes too, knowing that that, that college was closing and you guys are close enough. It's like that working together. Um, that's fabulous. I mean, it was a win, win, win for everyone. We took about a hundred, uh, about a hundred students who went to school or ended up coming to, to, uh, to our place. Uh, and, and we honored their scholarships that they would have gotten there. We made sure their packages matched. So if they had, if they were going to pay, uh, if they had a scholarship that got them to where they were going to pay ten thousand dollars, I'm just throwing a number out. Yeah. We made sure that that's what they paid at our place. Uh, so we made sure that it was financially viable for their families. Uh, and, and so we really worked hard to take care of them, and because it's a traumatic experience to be a, a freshman, sophomore, junior in college. And all of a sudden for your college on, on June 1st, say, we're not going to be open next fall. And that's what happened. It was June 1st. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine the panic for the families as well as for, you know, the students of now, what am I going to do? So having a plan, you know, and a foundation and at least something in the works that said, we've got you, um, that is fabulous. It's fabulous for everyone involved. And when I sit here and I, you know, as I was doing the research, kind of preparing for today, I was like, this story is fabulous. And then 
I kind of started digging back even a little bit further. So I'm going to pivot just even a little bit more um, and kind of go back. You actually, um, you're actually originally from Arkansas. I am. Small town. Yes. Um, Your graduating class from high school was 10. Yes. And two of those were juniors graduating early. Okay. Okay. So when we talk about small, you know, you, it's not like you had this, you know, silver spoon that you walked into uh, midway and you just knew what to do. Like you have, you have this really great story. So I also read that you are the first generation college graduate. I was at the time, at the time. Now, at the time. At the time, I was a first-generation college graduate when I, went off to, when I got my degree, when I went off to college. Uh, no one in my family, uh, my immediate family, had a college degree when I went off. Uh, so, that, that changed after I left. Well, of course, right? Because you were, I would think you set kind of the, it can be done, and I'm going to go do it. What was the driving force? Because, you know, I sit here thinking about, you know, I have employees, and, you know, I think about, kind of their backgrounds and the families and where they came from and um, support systems and somebody propelling them. And you can really tell um, the, the kids, I call them kids. I mean, they're 20, I'm old enough to be some of their grandmothers. So um, I, I'm like, when I look at kind of their background and I look at kind of where they came from, those that I watch just propel themselves forward there's something or someone that is a driving force behind them. Did you have that? And kind of what what tracked you to go, okay, nobody's gone to college, but I'm going to go. Well, <laughs> you know, my father uh, would be that person. And, and, I, and I, I, while I met the definition of a first-generation college student, I mean, my grandfather had a, had a sixth-grade education, worked in the oil fields. Um, I grew up on a, a small farm in Western Arkansas, um, and, and, you know, went off to school. And like I said, my, my, neither of my parents had a college degree, uh, you know, when I, when I went off, but my father w- was a guy who my whole life said, you're going to college. My sister and I both, you're going to college, you're going to college, you're going to college. Uh, and, and I'm six, seven. Okay, uh, and I'm a, I'm a pretty good sized guy, uh, and so you can imagine being six seven, going to an itty bitty little high school where you're the biggest thing ever. Uh, everybody, um, you're a basketball player. Yeah, and so you're tall. Everybody uh, uh, thinks you're pretty good, which I, I thought I was, uh, which I wasn't uh, compared comparative to anybody who was any good. Um, and you know, my father would say, I would say, Dad, I'm going to go get a basketball scholarship. I, it's fine. And he would say, you, you have to keep your grades up because what if you tear your knee up? What if you do this? Uh, I can tell you, I was a sophomore in college, starter on the basketball team, or sophomore in high school, excuse me, starter on the basketball team. I got a C in biology. And my father took me off the basketball team in the middle of the basketball season for six weeks, cool. uh, which in a small itty bitty high school is a, is a crushing blow to the, the basketball team when when the tallest kid for several counties around can't play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's how serious my father was about education that we, my sister and I had to keep A's and B's, uh, uh, and to play sports, uh, plus work on the farm. And, 
and that's a full-time job. That is a full-time job. I like right. that's a full-time job. I've got 40 chickens and that is a full-time job. So I can only imagine my dad was actually born and raised on a small town, yeah. uh, small farm in Kansas. So I, it, that is, it's all day, all night. I mean, especially if there's animals, right? There's yeah. always something that has to be done. And then you throw school on top of that. Sure. I mean, kids. I'll do, you, I'll do you one better about my father. This is amazing. My father is an amazing man. Uh, a better man in many ways than I'll ever be. Uh, and he, he, um, I went off to college and he started to go back to school. He had, he had went to Vietnam uh, and come back from Vietnam, taking a class, a few classes, but nothing major. Uh, and then he went to work, you know, like, like a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then he had a family, he had to support family and do things. And, uh, and so I went off to college. He started to take a few classes to finish his degree. And then he did the drive one night a week to finish his bachelor's. Uh, and, and then when my sister went off to college, uh, she went off to play basketball at SMU in Dallas. Uh, in fact, she has her jersey hanging in the rafters at SMU. She's one of the greatest players in SMU history. Uh, she was a great player. Now she's much better than me. And uh, uh, my father had finished his bachelor's degree through one night a week driving driving uh, two and a half hours away. And he moved to Denton, which you're familiar, obviously. I am, yeah. He got... He enrolled in uh, he enrolled in uh, uh, graduate programs at Texas Women's, uh, and he proceeded over the next few years to uh, to finish three three masters and a PhD. He got uh, he got a uh, a master's in nutrition from Texas Women's. He got a master's of public health from North Texas. He got an MBA from Letourneau, and he got a PhD from Texas Women's. In nutrition. Wow. I would love your dad. Just so you know, I have a nutrition company. I yeah. would love your dad. <laughs> yeah. That's and impressive. That's what he did later in life. So like I said, when I left, when I left home, I, not, my parents didn't have degrees. My family wasn't, but, but my father went back as an adult learner later in life and in a short span did all these things. Uh, and but but it was but it was he was a man who knew the value of education and mm. said you're going to get an education. I, I never and I never growing up doubted I was going to college. Right. I I was assumed I was going to college. I, I you know that was an assumption. Now I thought I was going to go play basketball and uh, education was a secondary thing to me because I was like any young young dumb kid they tricked me into getting an education. Uh, so I never thought thirty years from from that point, I would be sitting here with a doctorate. Uh, I thought I'd be some small high school basketball coach at some remote outpost in Arkansas. Uh, but life has a way of uh, throwing you a curveball. Well, I don't know if that was a curveball or if maybe that wasn't the trajectory all along. Um, yeah. Probably destined for the position that you're in. And I wouldn't put it past you for it to go even beyond this. Um, so when... so. Obviously, playing basketball, passion, right? Is that what kind of drove you into coaching? Is you know the playing basketball and then going, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going into higher education, but coaching on that level. I think uh, when you are 
a competitive person. And I wanted to beat you at everything. I didn't care if we were playing cards, board games, uh, basketball. I, I was naturally a competitive person. And when the ability to stop playing basketball happened, mm. you still have a need as a competitor to have an outlet. Uh, and so oftentimes we, we want to almost be like, be, uh, fulfill our vicarious nature through coaching. And I think that's probably what some, some coaches do. Um, you know, a lot of people will say they wanted to give back, you know, yeah. you, you learn over time, once you do it, uh, all the great things about it. But when you first get into it, you're too young to understand what it is. You don't, you don't realize how important a profession it is. Yeah. That was kind of where I was going is the amount of influence that coaches have over players Um, in, in a lot of, in most often, a lot of times, um, sometimes that coach is the only positive thing that some of these kids have in their lives. And it's so just, you know, as a parent, um, and in being able to step back and look at the influence. And I was an athlete, to, I, I was a swimmer. Yeah. And so I was competitive and very competitive that way. So when you have those coaches that make such an impact on your life, you never forget them. They are part of your life, your whole life, right? I um, recently had a coach from middle school that passed and my dad was in the military, so we traveled all over the place. And um, this was, I was there for maybe three years um, and it was a middle school coach, but it she had such an impact that when she died, it was crushing. Like I always knew she was out there, but then when she died, it, I mean, it was crushing. And so coaches, you're right. That position, um, as you, you know, I guess as you get older and and the older coaches, but, you know, I was watching football this weekend and just even the NFL coaches, the impact that they have on grown men. Sure. sure. No, I, 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 uh, I hope I did. Um, I think uh, some would tell you I did. I, I, I think many of us that, that coached look back and, and wish we had done a better job, wish we had, had, uh, had been better at what we did. Um, you know, I, I was probably a little too tough, uh, a little too stern at times, a little, a little too harsh with criticism. Um, you know, now that I, I look back on my career, uh, maybe I wanted to win a little too, too much. Uh, <laughs> but the thing that gives me the most pleasure uh, is definitely seeing uh, all the great things that my players have become in their lives. Yeah. And of course, I know Facebook's not for the, everyone says Facebook's only for old people now uh, <laughs> and I'm old. So, so Facebook is, is definitely where I, I track my former players. Uh, but it, it brings me joy to see them with their families and to see them uh, in their professions and see all the great things they're doing. And, you know, the, the, you know, whether it be the doctors and the politicians and, and many of them became coaches, which I, I, I always crack up because, Every one of them that ever told me they wanted to be a coach, I always told them, you don't like money, you don't want to be happy. You know? <laughs> uh, so uh, so that it really does, it means a lot to me that uh, 
that many of them uh, have went on and done so much in their lives. And well, I had I spent a long time coaching women's basketball, and I had I was blessed to have some of the, the finest young women uh, play for me. Uh, you know, throughout uh, you know Oklahoma and Texas, New Mexico and Arkansas. I just I, I love those young ladies. They're not young. Many of them are not young anymore, but they're, right. they're fantastic adults. Yeah, they're just yeah. They you know athletes in general. I mean, I know sometimes athletes get a really bad rap because they are in the spotlight. Um, and you know, we're all dumb and make stupid choices at, at some point in our life. You know, yeah. but we all do grow up, right? Sure. And we go on to lead amazing lives. And a lot of athletes know how to give back. They just do. Um, they they want to help and they want to, you know, step into some of those coaching roles, which I think is, even if it's peewee, even if it's a peewee team, right? They've got us, these kids, we all started somewhere, right? I mean, my dad threw me in the pool and said swim and I was terrified, but I mean, <laughs> you all start, you, you start somewhere. Um, but there's always these fabulous people like, like you with the coaching and, um, you know, stepping into their lives. It, it's, if you were going to sit back and just go, I really want to leave a legacy. Have you thought about what that legacy is that you really want to leave? Well, no, not really. I guess I've been in the middle of trying to to, to do more. Right now, I'm I'm consumed with um, uh, bettering Andrew College. Yeah, uh, and and I believe our mission is so important. You know, Southwest Georgia is. An extremely rural area. Uh, there's a lot of poverty. Randolph County, where we're at, uh, is 40% below the poverty line. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and we are uh, we are a beacon of education and uh, cultural uplift for our community and area. And we've been here for 169 years. I plan to make sure that we're here 169 more. Uh, we are turning out uh, young people, uh, trying to move them on. We're trying to turn out uh, educators uh, through our elementary education program because there's a lack of, of uh, teachers mm -hmm. in this area. Uh, there is a massive healthcare shortage. Uh, you know, by 2030 in Georgia, there'll be 130,000 person shortage across all healthcare workers. We are educating nurses and respiratory therapists, and 75% of them stay in Southwest Georgia. Uh, so we are we are meeting a critical need. That's huge. Yeah, the healthcare crisis is coming yeah. um, faster than what I think anyone really realizes. I mean, you hit it because you're you're working to solve the problem. Um, but we've been talking about the shortages in doctors for years now, and um, I it's happening faster. I mean, they're they they don't want to deal with all the politics. They want to get people well, and so the more difficult it becomes with electronic records and, you know, all the things that they have to deal with and the rising cost of malpractice insurance. Sure. A lot of them are bailing and they're just saying, it's not worth it. I can go do something that, you know, I don't have as much to worry about, you know, going to jail or whatever. And it's not because we're doing anything wrong. It's just, we have a very litigious society that we all live in now. And so um, I'm so, that is fantastic. I know originally the um, Andrew College was um, really a big fine arts program. Yes, and we, we still are committed to fine arts. Um, uh, we, 
we've historically had fantastic theater program. We have a great old historic theater uh, in, in our old main building, which is just gorgeous, uh, the, the Lady Murphy uh, Theater. And uh, we have had a great music program over the years, uh, and the Andrew College Corollaires have been known to to, uh, to carry a tune, no doubt about it, in many churches around around the area. Well, uh, Southern Georgia, yeah. <laughs> jazz is big in this area, you know. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, there's, it's, it's, it is definitely great. Uh, there's definitely a lot of culture. Yeah. There. Well, it, it, when you start talking about some of those old performing arts theaters, my husband is a civil engineer and um, ha- has built several beautiful performing arts centers. Uh, he did Texas State down mm-hmm. in the... Yeah. And um, so he built that. And then the Amarillo, he built the Amarillo Performing Arts Center. Um, and so he's done, and there's another one, and I don't remember where it's at, but he's he's built several of them. And so now I'm like addicted to these, you know, performing arts centers. Yeah. In Fort Worth, it's got Bass Hall, which is unbelievably beautiful. But I'm now addicted. So when you're, you're talking about these, you know, older ones that have, so much history to them. Yes. Um, that's, that is really kind of fabulous. I, you know, I had seen that the um, college was, you know, big in performing arts and I was like, I, maybe I need to go and just go see one of these performances. <laughs> I was like, I have to go. Oh, we're, doing, we're doing driving Miss Daisy from October 5th through the 8th. Oh, there you go. Yes. I mean, I'm supposed to be going to Baltimore, but I might have to drive instead of fly. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, but, It'd be quite a detour to Cuthbert, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Cuthbert, Georgia. I got to go to Cuthbert, Georgia. My husband would be like, what is in Cuthbert, Georgia? I'm like, Dr. Kennedy, of course, I have to go. Um, so so I know you're married. Um, yes. um, is there, how did you meet your wife? My wife and I met uh, while we were both working at Our Lady of the Lake University at San Antonio. Oh. So um, I was the head women's basketball coach and she was running uh, financial aid and enrollment down there. And uh, we, we met uh, while, while we both were working down there. So I, um, she comes from a Hispanic descent, correct? She does. She was born in Chile. Oh, yeah. okay. So born in Chile. I know that she has a cause um, that's very near and dear to her heart Um because I saw it all over her Facebook page because I was kind of stalking both of you. Mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, she works um, really to support children that come into the country um, really by no choice of their own for the most part. Um, how yeah. did she end up with that organization being, I mean, she's pretty, um, she's pretty passionate about it. So sure, how did she become sure. so passionate about sure. that particular organization? Well, my wife, um, my wife's family came here as refugees. Okay. From, uh, and that, that is really, uh, they were uh, expelled from the, uh, from Chile during the Pinochet regime. Okay. Whenever yeah. they, uh, whenever the, that, uh, <clears throat> that coup happened in Chile in the 70s. Uh, and so that they basically were expelled and uh, she was eventually re- relocated to Ithaca, New York. Her family uh, ended up um, basically via Cuba and then through, uh, through there, through the church. And so her family was there. Her, you know, her father ended up working at Cornell and he ended up retiring from Cornell. Wow. Uh, 
And so uh, my wife is a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. uh, now, but she had, had, and, uh, has dual citizenship. But um, she obviously understands the plight of yeah. those who are refugees through no fault of their own. Right. And cares deeply about, um, you know, how that affects people. And, what, and honestly, children have no, they don't have an ideology. They're children. Right. Uh, and and they, I mean, her parents had ideology. Uh, the government had ideology. She didn't have an ideology. She was a little child. Right. Uh, and these children don't ask to put in these situations. Uh, well, they don't know. They don't even know to ask. They just, they are part of the tribe and they're in it for survival. Sure. Right. So it, it's like, where's my mommy? Like, and I go where mommy goes. Like it's, it's pretty simple. And, you know, with, with everything that we have going on in, in the country now, and with everything that's going on along, you know, the Rio Grande border, um, when I stumbled across that, I was like, there has to be a backstory somehow yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. yeah well, there, there is. And so that, that kind of explains it. Uh, and, uh, my wife is an unbelievably, uh, uh she's a brilliant woman. Uh, she's finishing her doctorate, uh, and uh, she's uh, um, she, you know, she has a great had had has a great had a great career in higher education, and uh, now in in boarding school education, she's moved into that. She's worked at such places as Cornell and the University of Chicago, uh, to name some, and and then worked at some of the best boarding schools, uh, Woodbury Forest, Foxcroft. Uh, so uh, she she's very accomplished and. and uh, you know, I'm 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 super lucky that she has chosen to marry me. Ah, uh, see, now that's humble. I like that, <laughs> and you get it right. <laughs> well, she'll, no, kill me, she'll kill me if I don't say those things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she. You know, she would just. Um, I was I was intrigued about yeah. kind of where the backstory may have led there on that one. Um, I know you two don't have any children. We um, do not. At children, but you do have rescue dogs. We do. We we are terrible furry parents. We have spoiled dogs that are uh, they're awfully awfully undisciplined. So you have three, right? You have three. Yep. Too many have... too many treats, and they don't listen. <laughs> they don't listen. So. Hey, I have six, so I can't complain. Like I can't even can't even go down that path because mine come to the office with me and they lay on people's desks. I mean, it's just really, we would have six if I would, if I would let her have six. Yeah, well, okay. So we got to keep up with the Joneses now. Just saying. I have, I have put a, she, she shows me pictures all the time and I say three is enough. You know, when, um, so I've always been this big dog lover and, um, I will rescue just about, somebody dumped a little Chawini dog off in the parking lot at the office and you know, couldn't find its home. I'm like, okay, so I guess you're home now. And so it's like, people know to just dump them in my yard. So it's like, fine. So, but um, I got on this kick of chickens. I, I, I don't even know why I got started on chickens, but I, now my husband's like, this is an illness. You had a shoe problem before, and now we have a chicken problem and the chickens eat. <laughs> so it's like, this is a problem. So um, you coming from, you know, growing up on a farm, you know, you know what that's like. It's like they chicken math. I say it all the time. I'm like, I'm educated, but I know chicken math is one and one equals 40. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> right. We, I, we, luckily I was on a hog farm. We didn't do chicken. So. Oh, yeah. Well, 
but pigs eat a lot more too. So, and pigs they're are, way bigger. Pigs can tear up a rock. They're they're definitely difficult to deal with. It, that's fun. So, what is your best childhood memory? Hmm. Best childhood memory. That's interesting. Yeah, it's just so many. I had a, I had a great childhood. I, I really did. Um, it sounds like it from just your description of your. I, I hated it growing up. You know. <laughs> uh, you know when you when you're when you're doing it and you're having to work on the farm and you're and you know you're like every other teenager or kid you hate it yeah you just hate to never go back uh, and but you never, know then, never then you think, yeah but then you think back uh, when you get older and you have some perspective you you realize how great and how lucky you were to be in that situation and be uh, surrounded by people you love and we didn't have what everybody else had but we had enough. Right. Um, Yeah, I think that's why your story intrigues me so much is you you had no you had goals, right? Because I can tell from just where you were and um, you had the right people. We haven't talked much about your mom. Um, Your mom, probably just as influential as your dad. Obviously, my mom is a saint to deal with uh, to deal with the rest of us. And, uh, my mom was the, the basketball fan in the family. She was a great high school player, 5'11". Um, and, and, you know, even, even, uh, in her forties out there playing with my sister and I, and, uh, and she just was really still a heck of a player. And, uh, uh, she just loved, she just loved us no matter what we did, supported us no matter what happened. Uh, she was the she was the kind of parent who uh, you could be doing you could be having the worst game in history and you could hear her you could hear her supporting you. She she just she just you know for my whole life she's been uh, unbelievably supportive. The rock as a family. Yep. A good rock. You know, that's that's mom's role, right? Is to really yeah. hold it all together. Um, and and it's the unconditional love that comes from a mother that you can't get anywhere else. You know, my mom um passed. I don't know if I've told the audience this or not, but my mom had passed in 2018 and we had a pretty tumultuous relationship. I was the oldest of, you know, four. And um, I was the, I don't need you to take me to school when I was five. I will get there myself. That was, I was that child. And so I, I, I gave my mom a run for money. I don't know why she had three more. I seriously thought she was going to kill me. But um, when she passed, I was devastated. Yeah. You know, and so you're just like, you, I, you're like you said, you know, when you're a kid, you just hate it. And then you gain some perspective and you grow up and you have your kids or you have, you know, whatever else it is in your life that's, you know, you start to understand a lot more. And I think that that's why I love you in the role that you're in, because you have so much influence over as, I I mean, you've probably influenced thousands of kids thousands over the course of that's a scary thought (laughs) (laughs) and over the course of you know coaching and you know higher education and but you are the right person and I think that that is just fabulous that um 
Andrew College was able to see that in you. And while I'm sure you bring a lot of um, experience in growing enrollment and, and that kind of thing, they have got a gem in you. And I, I'm just very honored and excited that we got this time to visit together and got to know you a little bit better. And, you know, I look forward to a really long relationship, you know, business with you and um, being able to kind of follow you and and keep track of, you know, what you do with Andrew College and beyond. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I know our audience has probably, um, you are probably, um, I did have um, the president of DBU um, on really early when I first started the podcast. And, and I love, I love him. I do. And so this is, it's very unique when I get that chance to have a president of a university and because everybody's got this very different background and how you get where you're at and the things that drive you to that. I tell my daughter on a regular basis, and this is kind of how I started, your past doesn't define your future. And I would tell her very often, it doesn't matter where you came from, who you came from, what you, you know, what you did when you were 10, 15, 20, you know, we have all made mistakes, but it, it doesn't define you, right? You get to define who you want to be. And I, I saw that in your story of, you know, small high school graduating class of 10. And here you are president of Andrew College in Cuthbert, Georgia. It, it, I was so inspired. So I wanted to thank you. Well, thank you for having me. For the inspiration and that that you're going to inspire um, moving forward, and um, we're going to help drive some um, enrollment to Georgia for you. That's what I like. We're going to say, "Come on, guys! This is the college you need to be at." So, um, you have been amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Kennedy. Um, I know I'm like over time, and oh no, that's fine. Thank you very I much. I really time. appreciate yeah. you, and I hope you have a fabulous um, school year and that you guys just continue to grow. Thank you again. All right. Have a great day. Take care. Mm -hmm. Bye. Hey, everybody. Tamara here. I just really wanted to do a quick little follow-up with Dr. Kennedy. One of the things I didn't ask him is how can everybody get in touch with him? So I wanted to let you guys know he is active on LinkedIn, Dr. William Kennedy, also known as Rusty. You can also reach out to him at Andrew College in Cuthbert, Georgia. Hope you guys have a great day. This is Tamara with Everything Is Up. Make sure you like and share the podcast every time you listen to it. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Everything Is Up. Be sure to appreciate it. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. And remember, everything is up.